Weston Kurz. I am a church member, just like the rest of you. And I get the opportunity to come up here and uh, speak God's word to you today. Uh, Pastor Aaron is down in Woodlands, Texas with the other church project network pastors and their wives doing a little retreat. They do this a couple times a year. And so um, when I open up in prayer, we'll be praying for them. Um, Life is always full of twists and turns and different things that pop up. And uh, in your own life, I'm sure you'll be able to relate to something like this. But probably in the past month, you found out someone had cancer. You found out someone might be dying. You found out some tragedy or, or something like that. Or you wake up this morning in the news and you see many people shot again in a nightclub. That's our life. That's our world that we live in. And so I'm just excited that we get to come together as fellow believers and people that may be seeking who Jesus Christ is and come together and just fellowship with one another right now, fellowship with one another at house churches throughout the week, fellowship with one another at a barbecue we're doing tonight, I'll tell you more about in a second, um, and then fellowship with one another throughout the week, one-on-one. Maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a text, maybe it's spitting watermelon seeds at someone's house. Um, but however we do it, we get to do this as a body of believers, and that's just a special privilege, and I hope we don't take that for granted today. So why don't you join me in a word of prayer as we get going. Father God, just thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for the opportunities that we do get to come together and just love, just love on each other and love you and worship you here today. God, I pray that the words that are going to come uh, from my mouth today would be honoring to you, that they would be glorifying to you and b- would bring you much honor. Lord, that today's message is not about guilt and shame. It's about freedom and love and following your word and your way. And God, as we've been studying through the book of James, uh, which some people call the, new, the Proverbs of the New Testament, Lord, it's some hard stuff in there, Lord. And uh, I know myself personally, I can't do James. I can't do what he tells me to do in there. But Lord, I know through you, and we can through you, do all that you say. And so, God, thank you for James. Thank you for uh, the writer and what you inspired him to say to us. It speaks to us over 2,000 years later. So, God, just be with each of us today. May our hearts be open to your word. May my communication be clear. And, Lord, may this this all be for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we are studying through the book of James. And uh, if you're a first-time attender, um, welcome. Thanks for coming today. We have Bibles on the end of your row, and we, high, we hold the Bible in high, high regard. And uh, we want to be biblical, simple, and relevant. And as I was evaluating my message on those three things, it will be biblical, it will be relevant. Simple, I'm not quite so sure on, so forgive me on the simple part if I don't quite get there. Um, but uh, if you want to grab your, your Bibles, we're going to take a look at... Um, James chapter 4, verses 13. It's found on page 700 in the Blue Bibles. And we're going to go through James verses 5 through 6. So we're actually going to cover quite a bit of ground uh, compared to what we've been doing lately. And um, before we do that, I wanted to to get the context. Before we read Scripture, we should actually look at, okay, what's around what we're reading, especially what's in front of, what's the context? And as as you know, we've been in the book of James studying lots of different things, And right in front of this, I think it's important that we kind of rewind a little bit. And I'm just going to go on the headings that are in my Bible. They may be in your Bible as well. But in James chapter 4, it says, warning against worldliness. And I would paraphrase that to say, warning against the American way or the American dream. And then the next little part talks about that we're actually going to start in today, boasting about tomorrow. 
Um, we do a lot of things where we're making plans, and plans are good, but we always got to submit those plans before the Lord and say, as we're going to learn here in a minute, if that would be your will, Lord. And then finally, as we start, the, the final part of the passage that I'm covering today is warning to the rich. And I'm going to prove to you that everyone in this room is rich um, beyond, from a financial standpoint, beyond most of the world. So I'm going to prove that to you in a second. So warning to you, warning to me, warning to Americans, I would say. So that's what we're going to be going through. That's the context. So as I begin to read here, I'm just going to start in verse 13, chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That probably, there is probably one of the most convicting verses in the Bible for me. Um, because basically it says, you know, if you're an employee and it says, here's your job responsibilities, A, B, C, D. And the most you know, good places I have at the bottom, other duties as assigned. <laughs> That's your other duties as assigned as a Christian. Okay, that verse ties right into that. So we'll continue. Verse 5. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and you will eat and against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is God's word. Challenging word. Lots of challenging words in there, um, especially for us. And um, one thing I want to make sure right off the bat that I say is, you know, when I speak this message, when you prepare for a message like this, I mean, me personally, I've already got the most benefit out of this because I've studied it, I've read it, and it's kicked me, it's pushed me down. And, it's, and times, honestly, this week has made me feel guilty and shameful. And um, I don't want this message to come across that way to you today. So I would encourage you that this is about a love story still. This is about God's grace and about his freedom that he gives to us. And our job is to take this message, internalize it, think about some stuff, and then we're going to move on for there and how we live out this life, this short little life that we get to live. Speaking of short life, if I were to sum up three words that summarize this entire message, it's about our faith, family, and finances. And the first part I really want to talk about, and if I could get someone to grab the lights here in a second, and uh, we're going to watch a quick video. And this is something, just a trick. If you guys ever get to preach in front of other people and you're kind of a little nervous, like, what are you going to do when you do? What you do is you go to YouTube and you find a great theologian like Francis Chan. You run a video and you basically, from here on out, I'm on, I'm on free time. All right? So let's watch this video about eternity.
going, man, what am I going to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember, a, remember computer paper when uh, it was all stuck together? And it had the holes on the side that you had to peel off. Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll. And some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me. But because uh, that was the best, you know. And, um, and it never worked right because of the rolling things. But, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room. And, uh, but I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, th- what about all this stuff? That's just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God, because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid, because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I, look, I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb? It doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying down here. It's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining 
because I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me because I'm going to pass that line well. Awesome. So Francis does a great job explaining the eternity and this life and basically this whole message. So um, again, we're on house money right now moving forward, talking about eternity. I, wanted, I found a quote that's in this book, and actually, um, I'm going to mention this book right now. Uh, this book is called Your Life Well Spent. I was down at a uh, generosity uh, conference. I'm uh, the director here at this Christian school, Day Spring Christian Academy. One of my jobs is to raise money. Um, and ask people to be generous towards the school. We, have, of course, charge enrollment fees, but we have to raise money. And uh, many of people in this crowd are, are ministry partners, and their job is to raise money for their ministries as well. And we're going to be talking about that at the end. But I came across this book, and this one of those ones, I, it's very practical. I picked it up. I burned through it in about five days. And for me, that's an accomplishment. Um, and so there's a lot of great things in here. And it really made me think. But I found a quote um, in here that was interesting, and it may impact you, probably not as much as Francis did for me personally, but I just want to listen closely, and I'll read this twice, um, because you have to think about it a little bit. We don't think about eternity very often. That's one of the things I noticed this week. We don't really think about eternity. The last time I thought about eternity was probably about a week ago, 10 days ago. I was up uh, fishing with my buddies in Wyoming and uh, looking up at the stars and seeing the you know, just vast amount of eternity. That's when I th- started thinking about what's, what's forever, what's infinity look like? So this quote from Henry Willen Van Loon, who was an author at the turn of the century, he said, High up in the north there stands a rock. It is 100 miles high and 100 miles wide, and once every thousand years a little bird comes through this rock to sharpen his beak. When the rock has thus been worn away, then a single day of eternity will have gone by. That's a long time. That's a big rock. A thousand years, sharpen his beak for a minute, and then comes back. And once that rock's worn away, that's eternity. Just one day. That's a long time. And that's that rope that Francis was talking about. It goes on and on forever. So now hopefully I've got you in the context of what eternity is. And we're going to be talking about thinking eternally. And I want to move on to this question, like I told you earlier. Um, I wanted to prove that we're all rich here financially. And I was actually rich when I was in high school, by the way, um, because based on these statistics. So um, if you go to, uh, if you want to Google globalrichlist.com or globalrichlist and find out where you fall in comparison to the rest of the people on the planet in terms of financial wealth, it'll actually give you the exact place you fall what number of person you are. But I'm just talking in percentages right now. So check that out. But if you make $10 an hour or just over a little over $20,000 per year, you are in the top 3% of the population on this planet and make more than 97% of the world. That's at 10 bucks an hour. 97 more people behind you at 10 bucks an hour. Okay, top 3%. Okay, does God care about the 3% or do you care more about the 97%? He actually cares about all of it, 100%. Okay. Um, but think about that. Now, if you make $34,000 per year or a little over $16 an hour, you're in the top 1% of people in the world at $34,000 a year. At $34,000 a year, by the way, in American standard, you are just a little bit above the poverty line, the poverty line in America. 
And oh, by the way, if you don't make that much yet, guess what? In America, you can get an education, you can work harder, you can make more. You can go get a second job if you want. These are opportunities that don't exist in other parts of the world. In Haiti, can you go get another second job? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe all you're going to do today is go get your water. Make sure you're okay. Maybe get food for that next day. That may be it. And so I think we are super blessed. And I don't ever, ever to forget our, our blessings of being born in America, which, by the way, none of you chose. I didn't choose to be born in America. God just put me here. So what's our calling? What's our eternity? What are we going to do on that red line that's going to matter for the long term? So... Um, I want to read another quote, and this is in the book here, and it talks about the American dream. And um, in a minute, I'll talk a little bit about my story in the American dream and what I thought it was. But this sums it up really well. <clears throat> Russ Crosshan, and by the way, Russ is the um, CEO of a company called Ronald Blue and Associates, the financial services firm that is Christian, is biblical, and helps people uh, invest their financial resources in a, in a godly, biblical way. And so uh, Russ says here in chapter 1, at the end of uh, chapter 1 here, just listen to this and see if this rings a bell. We have increased our lifestyles, but in the process, haven't we also lost our ability to really live? We have amassed wealth, not wisdom. We have given our children toys, not time. We have children who have been taught to consume rather than work. We have fathers who don't know their children and marriages that don't work or last. We have been in a rush to run a race without understanding the finish line. Could it be that we are being robbed of our very lives because we're not thinking correctly about the why we have money and the what we will do with it? Those are some pretty profound words, pretty big questions, and really got me thinking about the why why we do this thing called life and what is our purpose as a, as a Christ follower and what really is the purpose of this life in the first place. So the first definition I want to talk about is, is temporal. Um, this is a definition of things that will last temper, temporary just for a limited amount of time. Our life here on this earth is actually temporary, um, but it's only less for a limited amount of time. In this book, Russ makes a point that Temporal things are typically material things, things that are going to, at the end of the time, not be around. Our clothes, our houses, our cars, anything like that, probably things that are going to burn up, burn up, temporary things. And then the question is, what is eternal? Eternal means to be ceaseless, everlasting, endless. Um, he makes the analogy, and I think this is truth, that our lives and our people, our relationships with people, specifically um, and most importantly, our family, are eternal or can be eternal. They're going to last forever. When we're investing time in ministry, we're, we're making an eternal investment um, in each other. When, we, when we're going to go to the barbecue tonight at 5 o'clock, if, if you're called to do that, that's a, that, those are eternal times. Those memories and times with each other, they're eternal. They're going to last. Whereas our stuff, uh, that's, going to, that's going to go away, I think. So he makes this quote, um, all, all the things that can be done with money are temporal, temporary, except for one, giving. All the things that can be done with money are temporal, except one, giving. Do we believe this? I don't know if I believe this totally. You know, as I evaluate my week and my life, do I really believe that? Um, 
is giving the one eternal thing we can do. And I think it, everything comes back to motives and heart. So if our heart and motives are right um, and that we're doing it unto the Lord, um, that, that can be an eternal blessing. So for just a, a little example, and we're going to use an example that's right here uh, with Pastor, with pastor um, Ezekiel. What's, what's Pastor and Bushwin? Someone help me out. Okay. All right. See, this is what I struggle with. I wanted help earlier. I didn't know if I was going to tell this story. Now I'm telling a story. Edwin. Edric. E. Ezekiel, Edric. You know, we'll, we'll get to it. Pastor E in Haiti, in Bushwin, Haiti. Okay, this church sponsors and helps pay his salary. You know what his salary is per month? Anyone want to take a guess that doesn't know? Does anyone want to guess what Pastor Edric's salary is in Haiti a month? It's $100 a month. And we support him doing that. What does Pastor Edric do every day of his life probably in Haiti? He goes out and tells the story of Jesus Christ to a people that do not know Jesus Christ. Is that eternal? Is that going to make a difference for the kingdom? That's one, that's one example. We have a number of ministry partners in here that, that work with youth. And it may be a Friday night conversation at Youth for Christ, or it may be walking across campus, um, at UNC. It could be on one of the campuses or public schools at a basketball game. Just a conversation. That's eternal. That's eternal. And that's what we need to be focusing on. I would encourage you all to read Randy Alcorn. Um, Randy is going to go down in time, in my opinion, as one of the best writers of this generation. He's got more things written out there than uh, most people, and then they're, they're super sound biblically. But in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, he says, Someday this upside-down world will be turned right-side up, and nothing in all eternity will turn it back again. If we are wise, we will spend our, our brief lives on earth positioning ourselves for that turn. So would you agree with me that this is an upside-down world? And by the way, it's been this way since very early on in the garden. That's when it all began. You know, that first initial sin, and then it's been, you know, one generation, you know, Cain and Abel, murder, right off the bat. And so it's been an upside-down world for a while, and it may be getting worse, and it says it's going to get worse before the king comes back, but we're looking forward to that, and so just be prepared in that. So how do, how do, how do we live in this upside-down world, and how do we live for that turn or that rope? How do we do that? And I think the simple answer, and hopefully this is simple, it's hard, but it's simple, by focusing on the eternal, i.e. people, in the realm of the temporal, i.e. our materialism. So the simple way to live out our life in the great commandments is love God and love people. That's simple. That's not easy. So I want to I kind of turn to this focus on people and talk about our families. And this is kind of a little bit of my own personal story, um, and maybe you guys can relate to this or not. I'm not sure. Um, but what is driving you more, prosperity or posterity? And if you're like me, until I read this book, I didn't even know what posterity meant. Does anyone know what posterity means out there? Posterity. It's simple. It's your children. It's your grandchildren. 
it's your family relationship that you leave, that you grow up with and, and you hopefully are impacting. So from a Christian perspective, if we're talking about our posterity, our children and grandchildren, what kind of legacy are we living, leaving them? Are we, doing a, are we leaving them a, a legacy of Christian values? I would say, and as a global sense in America, the answer is no. Maybe in the sense of this room, maybe we're doing a pretty good job. I know for myself personally, um, when I first started out in my career at, at the bank, before I came here to Dayspring, my drive was simply to accumulate wealth, make sure my family was comfortable, make sure we had a nice house, make sure we had nice cars, make sure my kids had nice things, all the cool little stuff you do as, as a new parent. Uh, my wife and I, Kristen, uh, I was 22 years old, turning 23 when Emily was born. She's sitting there in the back talking to her mom right now. I don't know what's going on with that. But um, that's what happens when you can be a friend. You can see, the, see what's going on out there. <laughs> so we were, we were young parents, and um, my upbringing, there was a point in time in my upbringing, my parents were divorced. I lived with my dad. Um, we were on food stamps. I was on the free and reduced lunch at school. I got free lunches at school and stuff like that. And so early on, I, I knew I needed to make money to kind of get out of whatever that was, and I thought that was important to me. So that became an overarching drive to me before I knew Christ. And then even after I knew Christ in, in 1994, when I was shortly before they were born, in 20, when I was 21, um, this impacted probably the first, from probably 94 to 2003, really impacted me for the next nine, 10 years of my Christian walk. I had this false target. Be safe financially. Be safe financially. Work harder. Climb that ladder. Do all those sorts of things at my job. And, you know, I was successful at that. That was good. I moved up as I was supposed to move up inside the bank. But what was the cost of that? The cost was my family. I wasn't there as much as I needed to be as a dad early on. I wasn't there for my wife doing the things I needed to do during that time. And... There are regrets that I personally have looking back at the early years of my kid's life. And now I'm coming to the end. Um, Emily's in college. She's a junior. Katie's a junior here at Dayspring. And that time, that little window for kid, you know, being a parent, that's closing on me. For some of you, you haven't, don't have any kids yet. Maybe you're not even married yet. But that time closes quickly. And I remember my mentor saying, hey, Weston, it's going to go quick. It's going to go quick. It went quick. Because guess what? Back to the beginning. This life is a mist. It's a vapor. Gone quick. We get a little bit of time. And so I have two choices to do with all that. My backstory is like, you know, I just, I tell you that because that was my, my passion and my purpose chasing stuff. And I think as men in America, generally speaking, this is what we do. Provide for the house and that drives us to the the nth degree that we actually forsake some of the things we need to do as, as fathers. And sometimes as women, we do that as well. And so what are we investing in? I, I want to make the case that we have to be investing in our kids um, in that time because it goes so dang quickly. And again, I, I can look at this two different ways. I could, I could lament and go, oh, I wish I would have done better. And I, and I do. But the beauty of being a follower of Christ is that God's grace and his love and forgiveness is over all that. Guess what? He's our father. He's been there all the whole time. In some cases, he doesn't even need me to do anything. He uses me to do his things, but... He's there. He's loving your kids. He's taking care of them. He's taking care of your grandkids. Sometimes you raise kids and you do everything you possibly can and they still choose their own path that's contrary to what you would want. That would break my heart. But it's happened to many good people I know. We're going to talk about it at the very end here, the second judgment of, of Christ. And that's where we're going to stand before the Lord. 
and he's going to ask us how we live this life. And he knows your heart. That's the cool thing. Guess what? He knows everything that's already happened, and it's going to happen. So you don't need to keep a list. If you've got a list of all your good deeds, throw it out away. He's got a list that's longer. He's seen every little hot thought and, and everything you've ever done. So, but I, I want to encourage you, if, if, if there's nothing more that you get out of this message than, than this part right here, um, I want you to change your focus from chasing prosperity to focusing on your posterity, your children and your grandchildren. I want to encourage you to invest in some posterity time by strategically or intentionally building spiritual and social capital with your children or your grandchildren. That's a whole other message for another time, but just think about that. Strategically investing some time with your children and grandchildren. For you that don't have kids yet, invest in your friends and your godly relationships. Uh, Maybe back to your parents. Maybe you can call your parents up and reinvest some time that way with your grandparents maybe too. It's a two-way street. So invest that time wisely. Our earthly time is short, and I encourage you to invest it in your first ministry, which is your family. So the main points that I want to kind of highlight thus far, and they're really from the scripture, and I may not have detailed them all out, but these are kind of my summary points. First of all, this earthly life is short, and eternal life is forever long. What you do in this mist of a life determines what you do for eternity. Make the most of this life by being in God's will. Do the Christ-like things that are eternal. Stop chasing financial wealth for the sake of accumulation of stuff. The American dream ends in an eternal nightmare without Christ and in heartache if you squander your opportunity to be generous. Start intentionally investing your time, money, and abilities into your family and friends. Ask yourself, is what I'm investing in temporal, the things that won't last, or eternal? If you want to catch those again, we record these church podcasts, and you can go back and listen to that again and write those down. But like I said, Francis Chan's message, YouTube that, and you're good to go. So how does this message tie into our, our um, DNA here at Church Project and kind of how we live life out here at Church Project? What does it look like? So the first thing is Sunday gatherings. You, you're coming, you came to that today. Thank you for showing up. Um, this is actually the easiest and most common practice of the American church, coming to church on Sunday mornings, and even that's kind of failing with a vast majority of people. Uh, the best part of it today is really the opportunity that we get to come and worship God through song and giving. Um, and so thank you, Jeremy and, and the worship team, for, for leading us in that, which we'll do some more here in a minute. Um, statistics say you're actually going to only remember 3% of what I just said a week from now. 3% of what I just said a week from now. And so that, when I read that, I'm like, you know what? There's no pressure on me to come up here and, and give you anything because 97% of it's going to be gone anyways. It's probably more for me. But yeah, so that, that's, that's church on Sunday morning or Saturday nights or whatever, you know, gatherings that people do. That's, that's one part of church project. That's important, but it's not the most important. The next part is house church. Uh, this is where, where the real opportunity to dive into the word and the message and discuss it with others in a small group setting. This is, this is more uncommon as only 10 to 35% of people that attend a weekly gathering 
will actually participate in a midweek small group or house church. So th- this is a lot, lot less people do that. We're busy. We've got other things going on. And so I encourage all of us to invest in house church, and maybe even a start is tonight to come to the barbecue, which I will, if I forget, someone holler at me before I walk off the stage about telling the specific details, but um, house church, small group, get together, get in a relationship with one another. The next part of kind of our three-prong approach is our ministry partnerships. Um, This is where we partner financially and relationally with effective ministries in our community. And Jim Collins fans will know what I'm going to say here in a second. And other of you, you're going to go, what the heck did you just say? But we have a set a big, hairy, audacious goal, a.k.a. a BHAG, to give 50% of what comes into this church back to our community locally and around the world. 50% of what comes into this church we want to give back to Christian ministries building kingdom work in Greeley, Colorado, northern Colorado, Haiti, around the world. The coolest way that you invest in that is through people. Like I said, if we invest a little bit in Pastor Edric, he can multiply that out. One person, one person, you, can do a ton of good for the kingdom by the way you impact other relationships. If you ever read up on the story of Billy Graham, I believe it's Billy Graham, so if I misquoted this far, I'm sorry. The person that impacted him and just spoke a little bit of truth into his life. Imagine being that person. That person's not on any stage. I don't even know his name. That person that encouraged Billy Graham or that person that encouraged some of the other um, just scholarly theologians over the time that encourage us. Who's that one anonymous person that did that? That could be you for the next Billy Graham. So I encourage you, I encourage you to be generous towards our ministry partnerships. And right now, honestly, we're, we're a small body of people, and we're, we're supporting more ministry partners than some major churches do. Not that we're in the comparison game because we're all in the kingdom business, but we need people to be generous. Um, we need all of you to be generous, and I'll talk about that specifically here in a minute. But we need generous people. Last year, this is so cool. Last year, as this small body, we gave away 20% of what came in, which is so awesome. And we want to do more. We gave away 20% last year. That's awesome. For a church that's about five years old, that's fantastic. And I love that we're starting with the DNA, right? We're not going to try to become really big, and then once we have this million-dollar budget, go back and say, oh, yeah, we need to get $500,000 away. We're going to say, hey, we want to do 50%, and we're going to start, and we're going to start shooting for that, and hopefully that 20 is going to become 25, 25 is going to become 30. And by the way, this isn't just our DNA here. This is church project DNA. This is what they want to do. So I'm excited about that. That gets me excited. The money that God has blessed us with to give to that, that is exciting. All three of these things are focused on eternal things that will last, i.e. doing ministry that impacts people for eternity and brings Christ glory. So as you're sitting there, you're probably not asking this question, but I'm going to ask it for you. So what do I do with this message? What do you do with this message? Well, here's a couple of suggestions. Hopefully this is relevant. First of all, pray. Ask God to show you where you might be off base. Where am I off base? Second would be examine yourself and repent of any sin in this area. How are you spending your resources? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your talent? 
Next would be equip yourself by studying God's word. Other Christian authors like Randy Elkhorn. Um, th this book by Russ was fantastic, Your Life Well Spent. And then even later this fall, um, we're going to be doing uh, a, a financial study called Financial Peace by Dave Ramsey. Um, Bill Jerky and Jared and some others here at the school are going to partner and we're going to offer that Financial Peace class coming in September. So think about, pray about that. Next, evaluate where you're spending your time, money, and energy. What things worry you? The things that worried you this morning, last night, do they matter in the sense of eternity or the temporal? Talk about this with your spouse or another Christian that you trust if you're not married. One-on-one -on -one meetings are the best way to learn and grow when it comes to discipleship and Christian ministry. If you don't have someone you are meeting with regularly one-on-one, -on -one, you're missing out on a great opportunity for fellowship, growth, and accountability. For me personally, one-on-one -on -one, um, meetings, you know, in addition to reading Scripture and reading other things, have been the thing that have spurred me on to grow in my faith. And I, and I thank people, one of my, my good friends, Dennis, who I've met with for now for going on 13 years, almost every week, 13 years. Now, when I think about this and I think about how I've read through the Word for over 11 years, you don't get to 13 years, you don't get to 11 unless you start with next week, this week, next week, setting up an appointment with somebody. And again, maybe it's going to be with your spouse. That's one area that I've neglected. I need to spend more time with Kristen, thinking about these things, studying these things, talking about these things. We've got to do that. Spend some one-on-one -on -one time. I can't encourage that more and more. In terms of finances, this is where people start cringing. My finances. Well, I'm just going to say right now, that's because you're an American. You're an American. That's why this bothers you. One of our greatest sicknesses in this country is we begin giving way too much, and we don't know how to give it away. And I'm talking, there's a mirror right in front of my face. I don't even see you guys right now talking to myself American wealth has corrupted our thinking and we've bought that lie that Francis talks about in the beginning about that little rope and man we do all this for retirement we do all this for that little piece God's not going to ask that question you know he's going to ask the question but it's, it's not going to be what was in your 401k or what house did you leave your kids you know read scripture what happened to all of Solomon's wealth Gone. <laughs> it's all gone. It all got redistributed. Because guess what? It was never Solomon's in the first place. It's always been God's. Always been God's. Never was his. We're stewards. That means we get to manage for a little time. That little red line, that little red piece of rope, that's our time to manage. None of it we own. So in terms of finances, giving in the concept of generosity, start with step one. Give something away with right motives. By right motives, I mean not out of guilt, not because you heard this message. If guilt leads you to right motives, amen. God uses that, but don't give out of guilt because God wants a generous giver. And then grow this habit. Set a goal. Build a plan. If you aren't giving it all, start. We have 
our little, we've, we've upgraded IC. We have, I don't even know what we call them these. I see they look like little safes kind of on the side where you can drop in your prayer cards and, and, your, and your offering to the church on both sides. But you can start there. Maybe you're going to start with a widow's mite. Maybe you're going to start with a $10,000 check. I don't know what God has in mind. Remember, again, it's not yours, it's his. But start. Start somewhere. If you, aren't, if you are giving but aren't tithing, set a goal to give 10%. Maybe you're going to get over there, get in there in a two or three-year time frame. Maybe you have to do something different in your finances to get there. Set that as your goal. If you're giving 10%, I challenge you to double it. I listened to a face, saw a Facebook thing from Andy Elkhorn um, this week, and he said on his little Facebook thing, you can look it up, just look for Andy Alcorn, look for this. He said, tithing is the training wheels of generosity. Amen, I'm on my bike. <laughs> tithing is the training wheels of generosity. I think that's so true. It's hard, but we got to think differently. we got to think biblically if we're going to get there. And then finally... For some of the bar, maybe to give away over 50% or more of what you make. And I would tell you what I love about Randy Alcorn. He does that. I'm sure he lives in a nice house. But ever since, if you look back on his ministry, he came to a point and said, I'm going to live on this amount of money. And from anything else that I make on my book sales going forward, it's all going to kingdom stuff. I don't know the exact percentage of what he really lives on, but it's less than 50% of what he actually brings in based on his book sales and stuff. Now, you might be thinking, well, I can't write books or I'm not making a lot of money. Remember about 20 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, you're all rich. You all have something to give. You all have time. You all have talent to give to the kingdom. So you have something. And in the parable of the talents, some get five, some get three or two, and some get one. God, God, you don't get to choose what you get. God just gives that to you. What you do with what you get is what matters. So as I close, I want to talk about what we, what we are saved from and what we are saved for. We are saved from eternal, eternal separation from God, i.e. hell. This is what we deserve because of our sin, i.e. our disobedience to, God, to the God that created us. When we acknowledge we are a sinner and need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins by dying the death we deserve on the cross, then we are saved from hell. Amen. That's the first judgment. Praise God if you have been saved from hell because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is an awesome, awesome thing. That is fantastic. For many of us in this room, we've made this confession. Like I said, praise God. If you haven't, if you're seeking God, I can't encourage you more than to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Speak to a Christian and ask some questions about what that looks like. Unfortunately, I believe we've placed too much emphasis on being saved from hell. We have too many people happy that they've got their fire insurance policy or get out a hell of free card. Once we are saved from hell, we are saved for living to bring Jesus glory. Once we are saved from hell, we are saved for living to bring Jesus glory. We need to be about this work. Some of his work is what we have discussed today. It's just some of it. We've, what, we've covered like 13 verses, 12 verses. There's a lot more in the, in the Bible. 
This work can only be accomplished through the power of Christ in us and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this alone. You cannot do this alone. That's why we need today. That's why we need fellowship of other believers. That's why we need just a time to come together and study and learn about this throughout the week, one-on-one with someone discipling you. And that's why we got to be in prayer and in the scripture. Where's the Lord leading us? How is he equipping and guiding us in that area? And it's never about good works. We're in James. We're talking a lot about faith and works and this whole works thing. There's the verse that talks about living out your salvation and daily. It's like a daily thing that God, like God, Christ's salvation is living out daily. And I think that really for me is the four part. Christ literally, his saving work is helping me, encouraging us to live a good and godly life each and every day. He's equipping us to do the right things if we call on him. That's working out your salvation day by day. Not the, the salvation from hell, but really just the ability to live a life that brings Christ glory. So I'm going to wrap up. And before I, before I wrap up on this verse um, and pray, um, I just wanted to mention a couple of quick things. When you came in, there were uh, cards on your chair. This is, if you're the first time you've come here and you want to be connected to us through our weekly emails, this is where you'd want to fill this out and put this in the offering on the side. Um, if you have a prayer request, if there's um, if something you need prayer for personally, a family member, um, maybe in your finances, um, this is an opportunity you can write a, something on this prayer card during this next uh, few minutes and put this in the offering box as well. Also on your chair is a card, just our church project cards. And on the back it says, we want to change the way people see Christ, Christians, in the church. In order to do that, you got to take this card with you and maybe share as a reminder, invite someone to church. There's some new people here today, and I'm assuming they got invited by somebody. So thank you. Thank you for inviting people to be part of, part of this church. That's awesome. And then tonight... Um, we're doing something that's kind of tied to our house churches. We're doing a, one of our first of three family barbecues, and it's going to be at the Montfort Park Pavilion, and it's hosted by the Perman House Church. Montfort Park Pavilion um, is located right over by Montfort School. It's kind of close to the neighborhood on the west side of the soccer fields, and so that's where that's located. It's 5 o'clock tonight. The cool thing is if the, you're just hearing about this for the first time, and you're, well, if you're hearing about this for the first time, that means you're not part of the permanent house church, which also means you don't need to bring anything except yourself. So show up tonight at 5 o'clock, Monfort Park Pavilion. Um, you want to raise your hand just so you know they have questions, you can come see these guys right here. If you want to sit not on the ground, bring a lawn chair. Anything else? Like spike ball. That was for you, Aaron. All right. So that's tonight. Um, again, I appreciate you guys coming today. We're going to worship, continue to worship here. I'm going to close with this verse. It's on page 667 in the, in the Bibles that are at the end of the aisle, hopefully in your hand now. And by the way, that Bible is a gift to you if you don't have one. Please take it with you. But the verse I'm closing with um, is 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10